Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everyone. There's a misconception that women always want to lose weight, but it's not true. This is one of the many wise things Simona says in this podcast episode. She said it in regards to the depression that she suffered from a couple of years ago. Apart from struggling with her mental health, this illness also affected her physical health. She lost a lot of hair, suffers from insomnia and lost a lot of weight due to being depressed. The fact that people highlighted her weight loss made her feel even worse and it became another thing that added to her depression. It wasn't always easy for Simona to speak openly about this period of her life, which is why she is now very active on Clubhouse, with rooms highlighting the correlation between physical and mental health. We are both big advocates for the importance of conversations to remove the stigma around sensitive topics, and I'm very glad that I had the opportunity to sit down with her today. During our conversation, we also talked about her upbringing in Israel. We cover everything from beauty standards within different cultures to how the conflict in her home country affects her. We talk about how it influenced her choice of education as a journalist, how her body still carries trauma from her childhood memories, and her recent fear of losing family and friends. It's a difficult discussion to have, but once again, by having conversations like these, we can gain new perspectives and a better understanding of the world we live in. The music you're about to hear is by the wonderful Tilda Ali. My name is Fanny Beckman, and this is Women of My Generation. So I always always start by asking how people are, but considering today's um, topic, um, I want to like take a minute and ask how you really are today. I am. I feel wonderful actually. Um, I woke up with positive energy, uh, getting ready for this interview with you. So I'm looking forward for the questions. I'm so glad to hear that, because um, you run very successful rooms on Clubhouse where you talk about mental health. So I would love to hear you describe why you chose to start these rooms and you know if it stems from personal experience or how did it all start basically yes so um i uh, when i first joined clubhouse i decided to create a club which represents my beliefs and what i actually really want to to do in life um so i decided to call the club diversity in culture so diversity in culture is not just about mental health it's literally first of all it's a club that accepts absolutely everyone regardless of uh, gender, uh, where, where they come from, and so on. So one of the topics that I kind of uh, found myself hosting more often, that was the mental health one. And the reason for that is because um, th- this topic is very close to my heart. Um, I guess after going through a massive depression myself from in 2018, I just realized um, how mental health can affect absolutely everything from your physical health to your everyday life and uh, and motivation and so many things and um, and I really wanted to to also learn more about that so in addition to Clubhouse obviously I was reading a lot of motivational talks I was watching videos 
I was attending rooms myself before I opened my club of uh, public speakers, uh, mental health rooms, and I decided at the end to, to do that by myself, to open these rooms every Tuesday, uh, 7 p.m. UK time. And, um, and I, I, I was lucky enough to have a lot of physicians in that room, a lot of professionals, people that can actually give advice or just be there to listen and contribute to the discussion. Mm, that's amazing. Has it always been quite natural for you to be open about your own depression? Actually, that's an interesting question. Not really. And I think that's the problem. That's why I actually wanted to start doing that. Because I realized that um, a lot of people don't feel comfortable to talk about that. And there is a lot of misconception, especially when it comes to men. Mm. In many countries, even in Western countries, even in the UK, um, talking about men and mental health is not that popular. But more and more people start to do that. And I think Clubhouse is an amazing platform right now. Um, there are literally clubs that are, that are called Men and Mental Health. So when it comes to me personally, I wasn't open at all. And that's why it, it hurt me even more. And the, the, I did some more damage to myself, I guess, by not sharing or not really uh, treating that uh, issue that I had back then. Mm. And you know, the more I read about that, the more talks I attend, um, the more I learn, I realize, and I want to basically be able to give the platform uh, uh, for other people to, to be able to, to talk about their problems. Yeah, but and you said before we started recording as well that in the beginning you had like hundreds of people attending, so there's clearly a demand and people want to speak about mental health. So what kind of stories have you heard in your rooms? Absolutely. Listen, it's never enough to talk about mental health. Never enough. Like, you can talk about it absolutely every day and it's still not going to be enough. There are so many people that are affected, especially during the pandemic. I think the pandemic increased the level of anxiety and every person that went through something in their life, the pandemic really just made it harder for them. For many reasons, obviously, because people were alone at home, um, so I heard a lot of stories, like a lot of difficult stories, you know, and these stories inspired me so much. They made me realize that uh, if, they, if they could make it, I definitely can make it and not just me, but like, and another thing, it also made me realize that I'm not alone. Mm. Nobody's alone, actually, we're all pretty much in the same boat. Apparently, a lot of people feel the same way. So one of the most inspiring stories that I heard, and I became good friends with this guy, he's uh, from Nigeria. His name is Tommy Waziri and uh, wow, his story is just incredible. Heartbreaking, but at the same time beautiful because of the outcome. So he was, I think he was a taxi driver and he was shot in his head um, and, um, and he became blind. Wow. Quite young, I think he was 26 or 27. Um, it's, it's a devastating story because um, he, he, he described his story and he said that he was extremely depressed. Obviously we can understand why. He was constantly asking himself, why did that happen to me? But then he said some really powerful words. He said that out of this darkness, he managed to see the light. So sometimes you really need to fall down to be able to stand up again. And the beauty of this story is that he learned to forgive. Mm -hmm. In order for you to actually move on in life and actually um, progress, you need to forgive the people that either if it's a relationship or if it's someone who, in this case, um, who did something horrible to you. And he has a mission right now in life. His mission is to basically help other people like him, in general to help people. Um, and he's so positive and, you know, the power that this person has and the way he speaks, he, I, I have a lot of respect for him because every time when I invite him to my rooms, he always takes the time to attend. Without even, even, even if he's busy, by the way, one day he had another room at the same time. Mm -hmm. And he said, Simon, I'm here I, because I really love your rooms. I just came to contribute and then I, I have to leave. I found it so beautiful. Like, so I was so touched because he could have just gone to the other room. Mm -hmm. But he basically came to my room as well. And his contribution is always huge. People are always like amazed to hear his story. Yeah. That's only one story out of hundred stories that I had in the mm, mm. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm very new to Clubhouse, uh, but um, from the few rooms I've attended, I've noticed that the atmosphere is very friendly, especially when you talk about mental health, that people say like, oh, I appreciate you being here, and I don't want to take too much space and stuff like that. People are very friendly, which is so, so nice. And I think 
the whole thing with Clubhouse is that you don't really see people when they speak. So people open up so much and are so, so personal, which is incredible when, as we said, it's such a stigmatised topic and so many people are craving to talk about it. So it's amazing that you've created this space for people to be that honest. I think uh, a lot of people find it hard to open up and um, sometimes they stand in the audience because you have the stage and you have the audience and uh, some people don't raise their hands to come up and speak. However, once once they listen for an hour or two mm-hmm. and they realize that other people are actually opening up slowly and they can relate to other people, I found a lot of people came up on stage and said that they this is their first time and they're very stressed, but yet they did that. And I found it you know, amazing that they uh, had the courage to do that. And to be honest, um, I am hosting these rooms, to be honest, for the people, not so much for myself, because uh, mm-hmm. it's not about me, it's about the audience. I, I, I try to not make it about me, you know? I try to not be the center of the discussion because um, it's really about, about the people and, and the, way, uh, the way we, all the stories that they hear, our stories that uh, that people can relate to them and um, we were all trying to make it um, for people to, to relate and, uh, and and feel comfortable basically mm. yeah and that's amazing but if you focus for once on yourself like what is your story you said you um, became depressed in 2018 how did that happen and how did that affect you well that's a really really long story it's actually related to so many things um, I actually never spoke about that, especially not in public, <laughs> but... Um, I mean, you don't have to share yeah, it at all. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind to share it. I think it's about time. Um, I mean, um, yeah, so it's, it's basically related to my relationship that I had. Mm-hmm. And it's so complex and complicated because this was the first time ever that I actually dated a girl. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, this was very, as I said, wow, very dramatic and very... Uh, there, was, there was so much into that story. It's a long story, but I'm going to make a long story short. Um, so I dated this girl that we actually ended up living together for one year. Mm-hmm. This was also the, the so this, this happened in 2017, right? And this is the year when I also graduated from mm-hmm. my BA in Greenwich. Um, and this is also the year that I also came out to my parents. A, a lot of people happened in the, a lot of things, sorry, happened in that year, which were overwhelming for me. And, and as I said, it's a long story, but eventually uh, this didn't work. And... Um, and I just, uh, a lot of things happened in addition to the relationship. I also found it hard to really uh, find a job in my industry and break through, even though I did some job uh, experiences. Um, it's, it's still, it was a tough period for me. Yeah. And what made it even worse is the fact that I didn't speak about that. Again, yeah. brings me to why I wanted to uh, host these rooms mm-hmm. and, and really hear other people speaking and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's incredible that you, again, make it possible for other people to avoid getting into this visual circle, really, that just gets worse and worse when you don't speak about it. Um, But previously, we have talked about not only how it affects your mental health, but also how, you know, depression can affect your body. So what happened to you? Oh, wow. It actually affected me a lot, uh, my physical, I mean, physically and emotionally. Um, First of all, my, I think my hair started to fall exactly uh, shortly after that, in mm. 2019, which is one year after 2018. Mm. Uh, in addition to that, I, uh, I started to have sleeping issues, mm-hmm. which I didn't uh, do anything about. Um, and with time, it became kind of chronic uh, insomnia. Um, in the way that I was waking up every, every day, like a biological clock, which is amazing, the same time, literally, mm. 4, 4 a.m. or mm. 3 a.m., I would always wake up or I would wake up more than once uh, and I would have all these symptoms, you know, of, of my body was basically telling me, listen, like you really need a break or you really need to do something. Um, definitely my body was physically stressed. So not just emotional stress, but also, as I said, like uh, I could see the, um, the side effects, which I still have today, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, for that. Did you seek help for that? That's a very good question. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I did. Mm-hmm. I did, and that's why I'm a bit upset from the NHS, I have to say. But it's also my problem, I guess, that I didn't insist on that. I remember that I, at the time I went to my GP. This was when I was really the very low point of my life, extremely low point of my life. Thank God I'm not there anymore. But um, So I went to basically seek help, but uh, I don't. they didn't really offer me much. Uh, and, and at the time I was a student, so I couldn't afford a private yeah. um, mm-hmm. therapy. Mm-hmm. 
so it was a tricky period but yeah um yeah that's a huge problem in general that's private going private is so so expensive and mm -hmm. you know the waiting time for nhs is so so long like it could be up to a year and it's horrible that it has to go really far in order for them to take you seriously or i mean obviously it's not their choice but they're just underfunded mm -hmm. uh, so it's a, an issue in terms of you know politics and government yes to be honest i uh, the only place that helped me was uni but as you can imagine it's not enough because uni only offers when you're a student you have the possibility to have six sessions mm -hmm. six sessions it's only about them getting to know you not about them treating your issue or helping and I was devastated after because in, in the sixth meeting, um, I uh, obviously they, they told me that that's the last one and I remember I was so emotional because I actually found it really helpful. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, it's I think there more needs to be done in terms of uh, support for students as well. Um, maybe more than six sessions if they can do something about that. If the NHS obviously is not that uh, helpful, then at least the education system, I guess, has to offer more help, yeah, more yeah, than yeah. just six sessions, definitely. At this point, did you have anyone that you talked to, like friends or family? Um, at this point, I didn't speak to my family. My family obviously doesn't live with me, but I also didn't want to worry them. Mm -hmm. Especially, I didn't want to worry my mom. Um, so I didn't want her to be more worried. I didn't really speak to anyone except of maybe a couple of friends. But I guess it's not the same and I don't think they understood the, how severe or um, bad my situation was. Mm. I don't think uh, they understood that because I also don't think that, uh, I mean, you know, unless you live with someone and, to, and you see every day how they deal with the situation, it's hard for you to know and I don't blame them. It's, you know, sometimes your friends can, can show you signs but you, you can't always know how bad the situation is. Mm. So again, it's not their fault. It's you know, it, it just happened that I didn't really share too much. Yeah, yeah. And I remember previously you told me that you lost quite a lot of weight during this period of time, but that your surrounding reacted in a way that you might not expect, like they gave you compliments and stuff, uh, but not realising that you lost weight because of an illness. And I think that's a huge problem in the society, that we always think that losing weight is a good thing. Yeah. I mean, some of them were not compliments, actually. Actually, some of the statements were uh, such as like, oh my God, like you lost so much weight or wow, but not wow in a good way. Um, and some of them, some of them were in, the, in compliments, but a lot of them actually were not compliments. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them made me feel even worse because there is this misconception that people think that if you're a woman, you always... Uh, have to try to lose weight or yeah. you on a diet or so on and the funny thing is that people don't believe me but I mean I used to be very much into sports mm. I used to play volleyball for many years I used to work out not the usual workout that you go to the gym but other ways of workout like running and playing sports so I used to be very active and people always used to think that I'm not eating enough that's another another like um, uh, another thing that I really don't like the the people when people say that because it's so uh, such a misconception again to really assume that someone is either starving themselves or constantly on a diet. So and people never think about the fact that maybe it's because you work out or maybe it's because you have some men, uh, not mental sorry some like um, you know medical issues maybe. Mm. So yeah and people never stop and think uh that maybe this person is going through something or maybe they are the way they are not because they want to be the way they are and the irony is that i, I was i didn't feel comfortable about me losing so much weight mm -hmm. i was feeling so bad at the time so comments like that only made me feel worse uh, yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. that just added another thing to your mind and yeah something to feel bad and about. i remember when i when i went to the sessions at uni with this therapist when she saw me I assume she says that to everyone as a professional, right? But I remember clearly she, she asked me, are you actually eating enough? Mm. And this was a red light for me. This made me think, wow, I actually really lost a lot of weight. Mm. And she said, make, make sure that you eat, even force yourself just a bit. Uh, and I never really, you know, the funny thing is that I never really did it intentionally. It, the, for the, I'm, I'm a person who loves to eat a lot. And for the first time in my life, that period, I couldn't. It's, it's crazy. Mm. Luckily, it never happened to me again ever since then. I must have been in a really low place in my life to yeah. not be able to eat because it's usually I have a lot of appetite. Mm. Yeah, I'm actually the same. Like, if I ever notice I'm not hungry or that I don't want to eat, that's a 
big red flag for me then I know like okay something is wrong because normally I'm just like you I'm a massive foodie and I love food and it brings me joy but yeah it's 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 good though that you realize that um, what what things to look out for because um, sometimes it's not obvious that you are in a low place or you think that this is normal because you never really know how other people feel unless you speak about it um, but being aware of the red flags in your own life I think that's really important um, but speaking about like the fact that you said that uh, the side of things that women always want to lose weight and it's a lot connected to like beauty standards that we see in society and obviously women in my generation is a lot about body image um, and I'm very interested to hear how it was growing up in Israel because uh, obviously you come from Israel, I'm from Sweden and I can imagine it's quite different in terms of media uh, and I would love to hear how, how it was uh, growing up, um, how are women portrayed in the media compared to like the UK What's your thoughts about that? That's a very, very good question. Um, I think, just like in many other countries, in Israel as well, a lot of girls, by the way, I remember when I was in at school, primary school as well as high school, a lot of girls suffered from anorexia as well. Mm. Um, so the image, the you know, this uh, famous uh, images that we always see on, on TV and in the magazines and everywhere on social media that always describe the perfect, just like in many other countries, um, there, there is something needs to be done and something needs to be changed because a lot of young girls there as well suffer from that mm. um, from the body image and they don't uh, a lot of the girls actually really starve themselves or go on a diet because they, they want to fit this this perfect picture that was painted mm. by a lot of uh, people mm. and uh, even there even there this exists uh, no, not as much, I guess, in other places, but um, but still, it definitely exists that girls are very aware of uh, the way they look, and also there is, as we know, kids can be a bit cruel sometimes. Yeah. So I think that it doesn't exist as much because when I was in high school, it wasn't that much of an issue because people are more grown, like seventeen, eighteen. Mm -hmm. But for when you're like fourteen or thirteen uh, in primary school or before high school there is kids can be really cruel so I, I've seen I didn't have this obviously it didn't happen to me but I saw other people being bullied because uh, because of their weight or because of I don't know many different reasons you know kids always find find reasons to bully other people yeah so this this is a massive issue and I think that uh, obviously the media has a lot to do with that and uh, and social media too mm. they always show this perfect picture that doesn't exist actually it's not um, Instead of actually uh, helping people to love the way they are and accept the way they look, they're just making it harder for... And it's not just women that suffer from that. There is People don't talk about it, but there are a lot of men as well. Uh, obviously, women are a bit more than men, but still, it exists from both. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's really interesting that you think it's less, um, less pressure on like growing up in Israel in terms of body image. Why do you think that is? I think because it's still some sort of a Middle Eastern culture. So I mm. think in the Middle East, naturally, they I think the men there like the women a little bit more curly. They don't emphasize that much on if you on your body. Like, a lot of the the men there and people in general um, don't talk about it as much. It's just the media and the social media that do that. Because I know because for some other countries, for example, some other countries like Bulgaria or many other countries, they actually are a little bit more close-minded when it comes to that mm. um, so I guess in the USA it's similar like in Israel um, they don't really care much about mm. your weight I would say that's yeah. great to hear that I, I feel like obviously I question beauty standards in general because I think it's important to show all kinds of bodies not just um, curvier because I think that's just a uh, the beauty standard right now to have you know fat in the right places but obviously there's people in smaller bodies then feel bad because they don't have the curves in the right places for example so I just want to delete all the beauty standards and show all types of bodies um, so it's good to hear that in some cultures it's not that much focus on appearance at all but then obviously with social media, like I said, like you said, it's like a global issue. So what happens here in the UK affects other countries as well. Absolutely. And I have to say, once again, growing up in Israel, 
I, I was very, most of my life I was very skinny. Mm -hmm. And that's because I was, as I said, I, I played sports, right? Mm -hmm. I never was starving myself. And that's also my genes, I guess. And I never felt like I don't belong mm -hmm. because other girls were a little bit more curvy or, you know, as you said. But so I never really felt like I need to gain weight or I need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Like I felt comfortable with the way I was in terms mm -hmm. of my body. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's a good thing. Again, like uh, I never felt like nobody gave me the... And the, the feeling that I need to change the way I look. That's so, amazing. Yeah. And unfortunately, very rare. Like, obviously, I, I grew up in Sweden, and there's, you know, I don't have any friends who had a completely flawless relationship to their bodies throughout their lifetime. Uh, quite the contrary. Like, everyone I know has sometimes struggle with the body image. And similar to people here in the UK who are from the UK, my friends here now, they have the same experience. So it's interesting to hear your perspective on that as well. Yeah, I mean, despite the, I never really had these problems with my the way I, I, I the way like the, my weight, but I did have other problems. Like I, and it's funny because I never was confident, despite the fact that I was considered as as skinny, uh, I still wasn't confident with the way I am. In general, like I wasn't a confident person. I don't know where 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 was that coming from, but uh, I mean now it's changing. I'm obviously trying to change that. Uh, but when I was much younger, I'm talking about when I was in high school, uh, even though I wasn't going through bullying and even though I wasn't judged, I still wasn't the most confident. Mm. So it's just interesting, where does that come from then? I really don't know to tell you, I guess it's, it could be many reasons. Uh, mm. It could be maybe the way you, you were brought up. Mm. Uh, yeah. And it also proves that in, you know, your body image is just a result of how you are mentally as well. Um, I've talked to so many people about like eating disorders and a lot of the times it's not just about your body but also how you feel. And I talk to people who suffer from anorexia that they control food because they want to control something in life because everything else is falling apart if you've gone through a trauma or something like that. Um, so it's definitely, it could be a symptom and not always the cause, uh, struggling with your body image. Could be, could be, although when I was young and, uh, I mean, I didn't go through any depression like I, like I was going through in 2018. Again, it could be many reasons. It could be sometimes um, your, your family, again, the way you were brought, not that your family, not my family never really treated me bad, thank God. They actually were very loving, but sometimes subconsciously without knowing or noticing, they could make some comments or... Or it could be many things. Once again, like uh, it really—it's really important uh, as a parent when your child is is very little to make sure that you give them the tools to be confident. Yeah. And it's not again. Some parents can be loving, as I said, and it's not like they're offending their children or, or abusing their children. It's about teaching them the very important, uh, giving them the tools, uh, you know, to be confident. And teaching them emotional intelligence is another thing that is very important, I think, to teach from a very young age. Yeah. You know, I just wish I knew when I was, I wish I knew back then what I know now. Mm. I wish when I was 14, I wish I, I had the wisdom that I have now. Mm. And you know what? In, in one of my rooms, I have a, a girl who is attending my rooms. She's only 17. Okay. She's actually from Iran. Mm. She's only 17 and... Um, she used to attend my rooms absolutely all the time and I've noticed that and I saw wow she's very consistent she always attends my rooms and she's so smart for her age so I decided to give her the, the you know to give her the, the, the opportunity to, to stand out so I, I, I asked her to be one of my moderators and we became really close and I, I see her as my little sister because my sister is her age mm. so I literally see her as my little sister and I, it, it makes me so happy to see young people like her so smart, so aware of themselves. Mm -hmm. And she has a lot of emotional intelligence for her age. And, and when I look at her, I always remind her and I say, I just, you know, I wish I had the same wisdom that you have now mm -hmm. in your age. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's very rare. And I wish most young people were like her. Yeah. I feel like there's definitely yeah. a shift happening with the younger generations that um, they, with social media maybe, that they are able to connect to other people and be more open about different things. But it's very true what you said that our generation and our parents, we all have a responsibility to to um, show the way in a way and um, to also like educate people about like emotional intelligence, but also in terms of 
food and stuff like that to not only speak about it but also show how it's supposed to be done because a lot of people do um, as other people do and not necessarily what they say. I've talked to uh, other people in this podcast about this as well that um, for example Rosman, a young mum who takes a huge responsibility in showing her daughter, you know, she always makes sure that she eats in front of her daughter, so, you know, when she grows up that she will never think, oh, my mum didn't eat, so I won't eat either. Um, so there's a lot into this and obviously it affects everything in life. Yeah, there are a lot of nuances, a lot of small things, not just talking about food, but also talking about your image, mm. talking about your appearance. It's so important to let your children know that they are beautiful the way they are. That doesn't matter what they wear, mm. what they decide to wear, how they, you know, what they eat. As, as we said, like, of course, it's important to eat healthy, obviously. I'm not saying that these conversations shouldn't be there in terms mm. of eating healthy, right? But no, this shouldn't be the focus. Like, it shouldn't um, replace, like, uh, it shouldn't be the main focus constantly to the point that you restrict your kids. Yeah. So, it, it's not just about the food, it's extremely, I can't even stress that enough. I had one room about uh, children and uh, mental health. Mm. It's so, so important to, to really teach your kids from a young age to love themselves, mm. to have motivation and uh, yeah, and to be more confident. Yeah. I do believe that confidence is something that can be shown to children from a young age. Um, Obviously, with time, it can disappear depending on events that you go through life. But if your parents are giving you this foundation and then they're teaching you mm. um, that no matter what other people say or doesn't matter what you wear on what you do, you still need to appreciate yourself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, like you said, also focus about focus on their personality and not just about their appearance or, you know, raising really incredible people. That's what we all want, really. Um, but we talked about how you growing up affected your body image and your confidence but I'm also assuming that it massively influenced your education and what you do like you an educated journalist and you want to focus on war uh, reporting Um, so what made you decide to go for that education? Oh that's a that's an amazing question (laughs) what made me decide wow I mean growing up in the Middle East growing up in Israel um, it's, as you can imagine, a very uh, sensitive region. Yeah. And being brought up in that place, um, witnessing so many things. Um, from a very young age, it's funny, but my grandmother, when I was four, I think she asked me, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a judge. I want to judge the bad people. And which actually is kind of related. So a journalist is not a lawyer, but uh, a journalist is still someone who gives voice to the voiceless, who actually uh, ra- raises awareness. Since I didn't pursue my, uh, what my grandmother wanted, I didn't become a lawyer or a judge, I actually was also interested in journalism mm-hmm. all of my life. I remember when I was even 10 or 14, I would sit in front of the TV and I would watch CNN mm-hmm. or BBC. And my mom sometimes would be like, why are you watching news all day, every time? And I actually enjoyed that. Uh, so I, I, re- I remember like really being very much into current affairs, like, you know, watching the news, get, being up to date with everything. And again, growing up into that reality of this conflict, which is very complicated and which I can talk about for hours, probably this podcast will not be enough, but <laughs> um, definitely this is something that I was always curious to explore and to try to educate myself more. Um, I have to say that I went through a massive, massive transformation of process, like, I don't know how to call it, but I mean, uh, it's a bit funny because I decided to study journalism, right? Mm. And when I was doing my degree, we we, we spoke a lot about uh, partial, impartial, how you have to be basically um, objective, Mm. however, you, you can't always be objective because it really depends on the particular situation. But um, in unfortunately, uh, what you're being, uh, what, what you study at uni is not what happens in reality. Mm. So we all know that many, a lot of media uh, from different countries, like let's say the, the Israeli one, Al Jazeera, even BBC or The Guardian, obviously they all have their small agenda. 
So while they do present facts and while many of them are very professional, yeah. we can't ignore the fact that they most of the time show stories or, uh, or, or either on TV or on the website, they, they show they focus only on, on certain things more yeah. rather than other things. Yeah, yeah. So even if they present the facts because they're professionals and that's what they need to do, they still have a small agenda. And growing up in Israel, obviously watching primarily the Israeli news, although I said I watch CNN, but still, you know, being exposed mostly to the Israeli news, um, I um, obviously I wasn't exposed to the, the entire picture as much as I should have been. And I assume that, again, in every country or region, it's pretty much the same. And then coming up to London, that's another reason, by the way, I came to London. Not London wasn't on the top of my list, I have to say. For me, it was about leaving Israel rather than going to London. It's, it, it didn't matter to me exactly where. Mm-hmm. I, I just knew deep inside that I want to study abroad. Mm-hmm. And London was an easy option because it's in English, right? And it was yeah. just easy, easy to come here. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Denmark was the other option, but then I didn't feel connected to that culture mm-hmm. or to the language. So yeah. I said, I'm going to come to London. That's again, easy option. And I came to London and I actually, wow. And then obviously I started to educate myself because I started to my first degree. My first degree was actually media communications, mm-hmm. but I had two modules of journalism. I, I wanted to study journalism uh, for, for a long, long time. And um, and then I realized even more how much I enjoy that. and. And I started to really get exposed to other um, sides of the story and other more more of the the history and more of the literally a lot of things that I wasn't exposed to back home mm. for many different reasons. And then I decided to do my master's degree in international journalism at City University of London, and this is where I met my amazing tutor, which I'm so grateful for. Mm. She's actually Lebanese. She used to be. Uh, her name is Zahra Harb, and she used to be um, a very famous uh, broadcast journalist in the 90s. Okay. She even participated in the Lebanon war with Israel. Um, and, and of course, I was exposed to things that I would not be able to be exposed if I stayed home, like if I remained in Israel. Mm. So you can imagine that those are the stories and the people that you can only meet if you if you go somewhere else. Like mm. you, I probably wouldn't be able to meet a Lebanese person in Israel or or hear a first-hand story, like the one from my uh, journalism tutor. So is that what you want to, do you want to like interview people about their life experience or what would be your dream job be? My dream job would be to be a correspondent, to be out there, literally out there in the field. And yes, one of the things that I really enjoy doing is interviewing people Mm. and uh, telling the story, storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. I think People can connect more when, it, when it's a personal story. Mm. So sometimes we have reports, news reports on the collectives, like on, 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 about the country, about a group of people. But when you bring like an individual story of someone, people can relate to that more. Mm. And definitely interviewing people is one of the things that I really enjoy doing. Um, yeah. for that. Well, that's amazing. Um, but like thinking about if you, Obviously, thinking about everything that's happening right now um, in Israel the last couple of months, and we started by talking about mental health. How has this period been for you? Oh, it's not easy. It's still not easy, I have to say. I receive a lot of uh, angry comments from the Israeli side, obviously from people finding that as uh, some sort of me betraying something like that, or even from friends. And I, you know what? I understand them. I understand them because I was there. No, not exactly in that position because I was a little bit more open, but I was there in, in, in a way that when I saw an Israeli person talking against Israel, I kind of felt, felt uncomfortable. Okay. I was like, you know, I found it a bit weird, but I'm not there anymore, but they are, they are still there. And that's why I don't judge them. I understand where they come from. Mm. I know why, why they react the way they do. Mm. Um, and they really, a lot of them, I received a couple of angry, angry comments after posting two posts. Um, one of them was of a journalist the, uh, from Al Jazeera that was basically um, some sort of abused uh, by some of the soldiers. She was basically removed from the site that she was in. Um, I mean, the claims were that she didn't show her ID or something like that. Regardless if that was the case, mm. I think that too much force was... Um, used in that moment 
because we're talking about a journalist, right? We're not talking about someone who is suspected to be a terrorist or someone who, who was not, uh, who was, you know, doing bad things. Like she was literally just there to report. Mm. And eventually, I, I posted that on, on my Instagram, and I received, as you can imagine, quite a lot of surprised and angry comments. And it kind of really affected me as well because it it's it's it hurts when it comes to close friends. Um, not so much their opinion as much as they judging you or thinking that you don't love your country because you do that. I think if you love your country, if you love your family or your partner, you have to criticize them. Yeah. I mean, if you criticize someone, it shows that you love them. Mm. If you don't criticize them and like if you always if you're always positive or always negative, that's not love. Like love is to be objective. If you again like actually, you know, I, I still love and support my country, but I can't remain silent uh, if I see injustice mm. for that. Yeah, it's such a tough topic, isn't it? Um, it's very complex, yeah. But also, like, it's important what you say that you have gained perspective by living somewhere else and seeing different sides of the story, just like you said, with journalism, and that's what you want to do. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a huge topic, and obviously I've seen on your Instagram as well, like, it's very stressful because you have your family there and seeing how, you know, um, everything that's going on for the last couple of months, that must have impacted you loads as well, on a personal level. Absolutely. Uh, so the week where we had the conflict, the, that one week that we had rockets falling on Israel as well, I uh, I didn't sleep for one week because uh, this period was stressful for me, as you can imagine. My family being there under attack of rockets and me being here, it's extremely stressful. And usually, usually we, uh, we have like um, the rocket alarm, uh, usually sometimes in the middle of the night. Mm. And the problem is that in my city, we don't have shelters. So if you have an, a rocket alarm and you, you, you need to literally go to the second floor mm. where the stairs are, mm. that's where you stand. And that's where it's supposedly the safest place. If, so let's say if the building is four floors, you need to go to the second floor, right? If it's 10 floors, I guess you go to the fifth floor or the fourth floor. The point is that either way, it's not the most protected place to be, right? So uh, because we, my parents live in the fourth floor, which is the last floor, I was obviously stressed for them not, not waking up on time. Because if a rocket fell on the building, then you, this is literally on them because they're on the top of the floor. Mm. So basically, I just didn't sleep because I wanted to make sure, because it's a funny story, but I, not funny, but I actually have the app. There is an app that whenever there is an alarm or siren, it's alerting you. So literally at the very moment, I know exactly what's happening. So whenever I see these notifications of the alarm, I always used to call them. And sometimes this was, let's say, 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. my time. Mm. And because of that, I didn't sleep for one week because I was worried. I just wanted to make sure that they wake up. And of course they wake up, but still, you know, I'm just this type of person that I can't be calm. Mm. I mean, when your family is out there and you're not there with them, it's uh, hard to to sleep. Yeah. If you know that they don't sleep, there's no way I can sleep, so... Yeah, no, of course. We record this in the beginning of July. How is everything there now? It's as good as it can be. I mean, it's much better right now, obviously in Israel, but uh, not not for everyone. It's not It's not okay for everyone, I mean... Um, as you can imagine, people in the West Bank or Gaza are not, you can't say that they're completely okay. I mean, their life goes on okay, but every once in a while they're also being, uh, they also suffer from the oppression and the attacks, so... Yeah, of course, I mean, that's the yeah. main issue, isn't yeah. it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel it's a lot to take in, and I'm, it's such a complex topic, again, from someone outside not knowing enough about the topic, I feel like, um, but also how complex it must be for you. You said that you love your country, but also there's a massive conflict and you disagree with, you know, injustices that you see. It must be a, such a big struggle in your head. It is a big struggle. I mean, imagine I grew up in the intifada. We had a couple of intifadas, the second, the third. So imagine I grew up when I... 2000, from 2002, even 2001, right? Until 2004 or five, we used to have uh, bombs everywhere, in buses, in coffee shops, everywhere. Growing up in this reality, you can imagine why some people are a bit close-minded or blind, because you grow up into that reality, you only see one thing in the media, you develop some sort of fear 
I actually still have fear. I, st I actually still have um, trauma. Mm -hmm. I I didn't tell this to anyone, but I live in London for seven years, right? It's going to be seven years now in August. Three times in this seven years, three times, not, not too many times, but three times is enough. I actually happened to get off the tube, not in my station, because I have this trauma of, of buses exploding. Mm -hmm. And I, when I see something suspicious, I immediately get off. That's yeah. not normal. No. This shows that I actually, I mean, that's not normal to, to, to feel this way. Mm. And uh, and despite despite the trauma and, and uh, despite the, the people every day I saw coffee shops exploding buses exploding actually a friend of mine was very close to to, to a place where, where there was a bomb uh, a terrorist who exploded and she literally saw hands on, on the floor oh and, and heads. so mm. luckily I never had to see that like immediate but but I was obviously I grew up into that reality, mm. into a reality where sometimes I was afraid to get on the bus or be in a crowded place. Um, so yes, it is hard because despite the fact that I grew up into that reality and despite the fact that I had to go to the army, I can still be open to understand mm. because I can make the difference, you know, between those particular people that commit these crimes and people that are actually innocent. Because at the end of the day, both sides have innocent people that suffer. Yeah. One side maybe a little bit more, but both sides went through trauma. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people lost their relatives into terrorist attacks, like, as I said, in, 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 on, in buses, in coffee shops. To those people, it may be a bit more difficult mm -hmm. to, to approach them and make them change their mind. Mm -hmm. As well as the other side, obviously, from the Palestinian side, people that lost their relatives, it's going to be extremely difficult to also uh, talk to them and change their mind, mm -hmm. which is fair enough and completely understandable. Um, so for me, again, growing up and witnessing that didn't, uh, make me, didn't make me close myself more. In contrary, I was still curious to, to find out more for that. That's very impressive, you know, that you... I mean, obviously you said it's not normal to have this fear inside, but then it's completely understandable because of what you've been through and what you've seen in the news or seen firsthand as well. Um, you've said that you obviously suffered from depression previously, but you feel better now. How have you been able to go through all of this and still you know, feel so much better now? Because enough is enough. I've been feeling like really, really bad, really, really low for two years. Mm. I've just realized one day that I, I can't live like that because I found out that I'm losing myself, my, my, my health, mm. not just my mental health, but mm. seeing all these side effects, like my hair massively falling to the point that literally, uh, not, not like any other woman, like to the point that I was stressed that I'm going to lose my entire hair. Yeah. Seeing how I don't sleep, how I don't actually many many things declined my health really declined and i just realized that it's this cycle ongoing cycle that has no end so then i realized okay if i don't take actions if i don't change something in my life i'm just not going to improve my quality of life mm -hmm. i'm not going to be more successful i'm not going to even have healthy life so i just one day i guess one day it was enough for me and i just started to really watch motivational talks to read more to speak more mm. and you know it's still a process don't get me wrong i'm not the most positive person in the world but i definitely changed mm. i mean I, I, I started to feel the change like uh, i do want to improve everything i want to improve my uh, my mindset i want to be much more positive and i'm trying to and i want to be more motivated and i also want to help other people i really want to push myself more and really show other people that as well they're not alone yeah and you're doing amazingly with clubhouse when with all your platforms and speaking with your friends so i just want to end up with by asking you if you have any like last tips either if that is about people who's struggling with depression how they can maybe feel better or if it's about uh, confidence in general do you have any last advice for people who struggle? absolutely quick advice first of all affirmations is very important so affirmations and, and being grateful mm. one of the things that i'm trying to do i'm trying to force myself every day to to maybe write down a couple of things that i'm grateful for and also write down a few affirmations such as i i'm capable i can make it or i'm, I'm amazing or you know whatever you want to write anything positive about yourself mm. and it sounds silly i know but if you do that for two months or three months you actually start to believe that 
So really, my tips would be to, to be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to your mind. Because your mind, without your mind, you can't do anything. Mm -hmm. So if you're not kind to yourself and your mind, and everything else will not work. Mm -hmm. So really, my tips would be to be more kind to yourself because I used to judge myself a lot. Mm -hmm. Don't judge yourself. Don't be so harsh with yourself. And another tip, accept your anxiety. Accept that you have depression. Mm -hmm. Don't ignore it. Actually accept it, understand it, and try to heal it and move on. I mean, again, it's a process and it's easy said than done, but if you really watch some motivational talks, speak to people about your feelings and do everything that I said, it's going to help you eventually. Yeah, I think that's such a valuable tips, you know, acknowledging your issues, because if you don't, there's no way that you can tackle it either. So that's a great tip for, for us all, I think. So thank you so much for being so, so honest and speaking about quite a lot of different very difficult topics but by speaking up just like we've said you are helping others so thank you so much thank you so much Fanny, for having me in your show yeah, of course <laughs>